We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is Optimal Relationships Daily, episode 1938. When Isolation is Actually Protection. By Shelby Forsythia of shelbyforsythia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to ORD with me, your host and narrator, Greg Audino. Great to have you here today, and this time we're going to be talking about grief. Grief is a very big, yet often undiscussed part of relationships. Luckily, we have a few contributors who specialize in it, one being Shelby Forsythia, whose work we are sharing today. So let's hear what she's got for us as we optimize your life. When Isolation is Actually Protection by Shelby Forsythia of shelbyforsythia.com I hate everyone and everything. Okay, I don't really mean that. It's just the thought of going anywhere or seeing anyone feels so overwhelming. I nodded in agreement as my client, Whitney, recounted her past week to me. We'd been working together for about three months, in which time she'd experienced three major deaths. Her father, her dear friend, and her longtime healthcare provider. In just three short months, she'd gone from living a life of constant caregiving for her aging father and interacting regularly with friends and family to spending most of her time at home in front of the television, occasionally getting up to walk her dog or take a shower. Sure, family and friends were checking in intermittently, but for the most part, her primary support structures had literally died, leaving her alone and facing a trifecta of griefs. On this particular call, it seemed as if Whitney was oscillating between two options. One, engage with the world writ large, which seemed daunting and draining. Or two, shut out the world entirely, which seemed lonely and stagnant. I asked her what she really wanted to do. She said, Right now, I just want to sit on my couch alone and cry and sleep. I sensed a bit of judgment in her voice as if she thought holing up in her house depleting a box of Kleenex was a bad thing. I offered, You know, sometimes isolation isn't negative. Sometimes it's protective. In an instant, the energy of our call shifted, and Whitney assumed the posture of someone who had just had their deepest needs validated. Yeah, she said. I feel like I need to protect myself right now. As humans, we are wired for connection. Countless scientific studies tout the benefits of interacting with other people, and they're not wrong. Doing life with our fellow humans can make us, as the Happiness Project author Gretchen Rubin often touts, happier, healthier, and more productive. Especially in grief, there's an unspoken expectation that grieving in the company of others will help us heal far better than trying to grieve alone. There's truth in that. And, It can also be beneficial for grieving people to isolate in order to protect themselves from further pain. In westernized, extrovert-oriented societies like the U.S., isolation is viewed as an unpleasant reality at best, and a moral failing at worst. People who choose to be alone, whether they're introverts, neurodivergent folks, or grievers, are shamed for making the decision to isolate, 
and pressured to join up with others at every turn. For the most part, society doesn't get curious about why people opt to spend time solo. It just makes them feel bad for doing so. While I can't speak for introverts and neurodivergent folks, I can share a few reasons why grieving people tend to isolate after loss. They're afraid of encountering people who inquire about them or the state of their grief, perhaps rudely or with hurtful cliches. They're afraid of encountering people who won't inquire about them or the state of their grief and expect them to be happy, fine, or upbeat. Walking, driving, paying attention, and making decisions are exhausting activities that can take up their precious limited brain power. Passing landmarks or entering shops can be intensely and unexpectedly triggering and may cause painful memories to surface. And they're far away from the safety of home base and fear experiencing big, uncontrollable emotions like anxiety or despair in public spaces. After my mom died, I beat myself up for spending so much time alone. A proud extrovert, I didn't understand why the thought of being around others was suddenly so repellent to me. I told myself the story, I'm alone, and being alone is bad for me. What I didn't understand at the time is that there is an inherent wisdom in choosing to isolate after a loss, and that isolation can actually be a good thing. Like an injured animal that crawls away to lick its wounds after a gnarly encounter with a bigger beast, I now recognize that I wanted to protect my body, heart, mind, and spirit before returning to the world again. If you've ever spent time with an injured dog or cat, you know they're not the life of the party. They're cozied up somewhere in a soft, quiet place. They're resting and conserving their energy for vital activities like eating and using the bathroom. They're not socializing with other dogs or cats, and they're certainly not straining themselves to move anywhere fast. If you're shaming yourself for isolating after a loss, I offer you this reframe. What if your isolation wasn't a sign that something was wrong with you, but instead that something was deeply right? What if your isolation is an intuitive knowing that you need to be safe, still, and protected from the outside world right now? What if your isolation was trying to save you? The world outside of your four walls has changed. Grief has made it so that, as Whitney and I often joke, a trip to the grocery store is no longer just a trip to the grocery store. Your body, heart, mind, and spirit are grieving. It's okay that you need the safety and protection of isolation in order to heal. Wear the same clothes every day. Watch the same TV shows on repeat. Allow yourself to sink into the same familiar dent in the couch. Cocooning in this way is not a selfish abandonment of your life and all the people in it. In fact, it's a profound restoration, a reining in of your outside exertions in favor of your inner ones you're still doing the deep work of healing from grief. You're just sitting on the couch to do it. And if isolation still seems like an unpleasant choice to make for yourself, know this. For all of my clients, including Whitney, isolation is a season of life after loss. It's a safe, solitary shelter they pass through on their way to healing. Isolation is not a forever home. Instead, it's a temporary retreat, like a recovery ward for grievers. At some point, you'll have the energy, strength, fortitude, capacity, patience, or desire to re-engage with life outside your bubble. Bit by bit, you will come back to the larger world again. For now, 
grant yourself permission to rest inside of isolation's protective arms. You just listened to the post titled, When Isolation is Actually Protection, by Shelby Forsythia of shelbyforsythia.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And a big thanks to Shelby for this post today. Now, a lot of the references she made were to people who found themselves isolating a lot after losses. And you might also find that this is relatable if you're isolating after losing a job, maybe moving somewhere where you don't know anyone yet, or, you know, any other easily identifiable life events. But what about those who can't track their isolation back to something that specifically upset them? What to do if you are isolating a lot, maybe over a a period of years, and you aren't sure why? Well, unless this has been something you've derived joy from for a long time, such as a particularly introverted person, for example, as she said, if you're concerned about this habit of yours, it might be time to ask yourself what cumulation of events this time alone might be the manifestation of. Is there something from the distant or recent past that didn't hit you so hard in the moment, maybe, but still hasn't been resolved and might be eating away at you? asking for a more concentrated type of healing as opposed to avoidance. What differences are there between the life you have now and the life you had when you were more socially active? Questions like these could be a good start, and if you have a hard time answering them for yourself, a therapist should be able to help you find some answers too. But that's going to do it for today, everyone. Another episode of ORD in the Books, and I thank you so much for being here and making it possible. Certainly, we couldn't do this show without you. So have a great rest of your day, and be sure to tune in again tomorrow, where your optimal life awaits.